0: All right, we've got sound. As uh, St. Francis said to St. Timothy when they met on the road to Marseille, Hi. <laughs> you don't know how relieved I am um, on the mornings when I preach, when the, the scripture reader gets up and reads the scripture. And I sigh relief because, oh, yeah, that's the one I studied. (laughs) Two or three weeks ago, or times ago when I preached in Cedar Falls, there was a snafu of some kind, and uh, the scripture reader got the wrong scripture. And so I'm sitting there going, all right now, what am I going to (laughs) do? We muddled through. We muddled through. As Glenn said, my name is uh, Terry Coons. I am the eldest elder. Of Redeemer Church live in Cedar Falls been part of that community of faith up there about seven years eight years I don't know time flies been on the pastoral team maybe four years and um, and I will say it's been a delight even though the last nine months or so have been tough it's been a delight to be a, a pastor of Redeemer Church I know some of you some of you know me Some of you know of me, but before I go any further, let me just give you a little bio on who I am. Um, I'm a father of six children, husband of one wife. I'm sure that's a relief to y'all. I have a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, two granddaughters, my lovely bride, Lonnie. Um, We have been married in a long time. And she is an incredible friend. I just, I, I just feel so privileged to be linked in life with her. Uh, she's a partner in my life and in ministry. She's an incredible mother, a wonderful counselor, a, a sweet confessor. Uh, most of you ladies probably know her better than you know me. Because she's one of the most connected introverts I've ever met. She she walks into a room and people automatically just gravitate towards her. They fall in love with her. She knows them. The extrovert here struggles for details, but she knows them personally within a very short time. If you get nothing out of today, get to know her before the service is over. Um, I'm blessed every day by her dedication to me, to our marriage, to our family, and of course to the Lord. Um, and it's that dedication to the Lord that gives her the ability to put up with me all these years. Her dedication sometimes, however, takes odd forms. You know, a few years ago, my wife was at some women's meeting, and you know how it is during these times, uh, the ladies get together and they share about their lives, they take turns telling how God's blessed them and how how good everything is. And when it was Lonnie's turn, she She was all excited about the goodness of God and how God had blessed her. She quoted Psalms 8411. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And she was so excited, she said to the ladies with great emphasis and great emotions, and I just want you to know that my husband is the chiefest among all those no good things. It wasn't what she said, it was the thought behind it. Uh, she's shaking her head at me. I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell any more stories on you, honey. It's my privilege to be here with you today. Uh, I have been uh, a pastor, a church planter. I've had about every, served in about every capacity in the local church that you can. I've been on short-term missions with Redeemer to India four times. So what an experience that is. Um, and now I get to stand here and... Share the word with you this morning. Now, I don't consider myself to be a preacher. I really don't. Um, I'm certainly not of the quality of what you're used to around here with Donovan and and Dirk. And my how Dirk has matured and grown in his in his preaching ability. I'm not a Glenn, and I'm not even an Eric. You know, I feel like I'm the least when it comes to the preaching o- uh, options here at Redeemer, but. I um, will give it a try. I came to the realization that I was not a great preacher when I was in seminary. One of the things in seminary is that you can get on a list to uh, be pulpit supply in local churches. You know, When a pastor's on vacation or there's, a, there's, a, there's an opening on a Sunday, they can call you and you can go and practice. And so I put myself on the list. I figured that was a good thing to do. And I was called to preach in a little country Baptist church, um, and you know how it is in little country Baptist church. You have a high platform, and then like the the, the the seats are like right at the foot of the platform. I mean, you're just staring down into the into the uh, the bandshell kind of thing. And uh, and I was nervous. You know, I hadn't preached much up to that time. And I got up there, and I was going to preach a message out of uh, out of Revel- Revelations about the coming of the Lord. And uh, my, my key scripture was Revelations twenty two twenty. Surely I come quickly, says the Lord. And I drew a blank. Okay, what comes next? And so I stepped back and I thought, if I just repeat it again, it'll come. Surely I come quickly, says the Lord. Nothing. Blank mind. Now I'm really panicking. I figure if I just get real excited... You know, it'll force it out. And so I said, surely I come quickly. And I leaned into the pulpit. And this, of course, it's an old church and it's an old pulpit, pulpit. And when I leaned into it, it just pitched me into the front row. <laughs> and in the front row, right in front of me, was this old guy with his King James Version Bible and a, and a notebook. And um, I landed right square in his lap. <laughs> And, of course, I was embarrassed to tears, you know, And I got up, and I'm dusting him off, and people are dusting me off, and I apologize profusely, and he says, oh, that's all right, pastor. You warned me three times you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> you like that one? That's not true. I just thought I'd throw it in for your enjoyment. <laughs> okay, enough tomfoolery. Let's get into the Word. Our uh, scripture this morning is uh, out of Hebrews 10, and it's one of, uh, I think, one of the more profound scriptures. I, I, I tell you, I'm not a preacher, but I, I come to you as a shepherd. I have a shepherd's heart, and that's the way I'm approaching this scripture this morning, and I hope, hopefully it's the way, uh, it's a shepherd delivering this message to you, so I hope you receive it in that, in that vein. You know, um, our passage is, is kind of a transition passage. You know, up to this point, for the previous ten and a half, nine and a half uh, chapters, um, the author of Hebrews has been building a case for the supremacy of Christ in everything. You know, he talks about uh, Jesus being better than the prophets, Um, Better than the angels because of his deity and humanity both. Better than Moses for he's the son who provides the heavenly rest. He's better than the law because he's the incarnate word. Chapters 5-7 through the writer establishes that Jesus is superior to Melchizedek. that, That shadowy figure from the pages of the Old Testament. The great high priest. Is in both acting as an intermediary between God and man, offering sacrifice, or sacrifices for the forgiveness of Israel's sin. So he's greater than Melchizedek, and in verse uh, chapter ten talks about being greater than the Aaronic uh, priesthood as well. And finally, in chapters eight and nine, and and again in the first half of chapter ten, the author builds a case for Jesus being. Um, the great high priest of a better covenant, superior to the covenant established by the law because he himself is a superior sacrifice. And so um, this morning, I don't want to spend a lot of time going over, um, you know, we've we've covered a lot of ground already in Hebrews. But I want to start out here in verse um, 19 and, and just dive into this passage. Therefore, brothers. Therefore, brothers. Let's stop right there. Didn't get very far, did we? Therefore, what? As I said, this is a a transition piece. And before we get to the what, we have to deal with the why. And the why is, since we have confidence. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to do what? To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence. We have confidence. Confidence allows us to um, do things that we normally would be hesitant to do. I can stand before you and preach out of Hebrews 10 because I've been in the Word. I've spent time reading it, meditating, studying I have confidence that I know what this word means. Now, it's not a small thing to stand before anybody and proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word of God. We should do it with, you know, kind of trembling. Uh, But I have confidence that I'm going to get this right, not because I'm good, but because God is good and his spirit through me is going to um, make sense of all this. But we can have confidence in a lot of things. It allows us to do, to undertake great feats. It, it allows us to um, take great risks, to accomplish great things, to stand in front of great opposition. We have confidence because of something. That confidence is grounded in something. So what's it grounded in? Well, we enter the holy place. We have confidence to enter the holy place which, is, which represents the presence of God. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the temple, but, you know, if you, if you ever have some spare time, spend some time studying the temple worship. It's fascinating. You know, um, from the very beginning, God desired to spend time with us his people, his creation. If you remember Genesis 1 and 2, he created man and woman, and he placed them in the garden. And after all was said and done, he would come down in the cool of the evening and walk in the garden with his peeps. You know, what was that that like? That must have been wonderful. You know, just you and me, God. Nothing between us. Look God in the face. Look me in the face. We could talk mano y mano, so to speak. Of course, I do more listening than talking to God, but you know what I mean. What intimacy that must have been. How wonderful. And God instituted that. It's not something man begged for. Adam didn't beg for that. It was a gift from God. And then something happened. Sin stained everything, made it impossible for man to enjoy intimacy with God. And so from that moment on, God had to provide ways for men to approach Him in such a way as that He could get His dose of humanity and that we could get our dose of divinity. If you read the books uh, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, uh, it's kind of hard reading at times because you read about all these sacrifices and festivals and this and that that the the people had to go through and, and oh my goodness, what a song and dance that was. There were daily sacrifices. There were weekly sacrifices. There were monthly sacrifices. And then there was the Day of Atonement, one time a year which uh, is referenced here in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, where the high priest would enter the temple. And before he'd do anything, he'd go take a shower. He'd get all cleaned up. He'd get all washed down. And then he'd put on not his priestly robes, not the, not the, 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 the fine linen robes with uh, all the embroidery, not he, not with the breastplate that had all the, the jewels representing the 12 tribes of Israel not with the turban it was signified his rank and his position none of that simple linen cloth he was in his underwear and he'd take a ram and a bull and two goats into the temple and um, After he'd washed, he would take the ram, and in the altar in the outer court, he would sacrifice the ram as a sin offering for himself, because the high priest could not make sacrifices for the people of Israel with sin hanging all over him. So he had to make darn sure that he was clean, he was fixed, he was right before the Lord. And he would go in and take some of that blood into the Holy of Holies, through the curtain, that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle some blood on the the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies containing the Ten Commandments, some manna from the wandering days in the desert, the wilderness. And then he'd come out and he'd take one of those goats and he'd slaughter that goat on the altar as a sin offering. Now one thing you have to know and I'm sure most of you all know it already is that any offering you brought before the Lord had to be perfect. No blemishes. Outside, inside. Of course we know that's literally impossible but the best you could do. The first fruits, so to speak. And that was a sin offering for the, for the sins of Israel. And then he would take some of that blood and take it into the holy of holies, and sprinkle that around. And then he took the second goat. He lay hands on it, confess all of the sins of Israel onto this poor goat. Now, I used to feel sorry for the goat that got sacrificed. But, I don't know, I've come to really feel more sorry for the goat that got the sins of Israel preyed upon him because that goat was led off into the wilderness so far that it could never come back. The psalmist said, David said, as far as the east is from the west, so our sins are removed. And that's the picture of the scapegoat. Take that goat with all the sins of Israel. Take it as far as you could get that goat. Make sure that goat could never come back. Poor goat. We raised goats for years. We kind of like goats. feel sorry for the poor little bugger. Everything had to be done just right, done just perfectly. In later years, they, um, <laughs> they would tie a rope around the, the ankle of the priest as he would go into the Holy of Holies because just in case he didn't do anything right, he just couldn't go in and carry off the corpse. He had to have some way of pulling him out of there. That's how serious this was. That's how serious sin is. Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sin somebody had to pay the price in the garden when Adam and Eve fell what did God do? killed an animal and made uh, clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their shame something had to die to cover their sin that's the way it is you know, years ago, I had a good friend that, um, that worked for a company that, um, that sold uh, bull semen to cattle breeders. You go all over the Midwest, and uh, calling on breeders of different, different kinds. I told him Jerry, one day, Jerry, if you lived back then, you would be a billionaire all the sacrifices all the animals that had to die to cover all the sin you couldn't keep up with the demand for bulls can you imagine living that way and this was just one sacrifice that came once a year there was all sorts of sacrifices during the course of the year for sin and for praise and yeah i could spend a lot of time going in that but i, I don't want to have time. The point I want to make is <sighs> that's all taken care of now. Amen. Yeah. That's all taken care of now. I'm not going to build a case of Jesus being the greater the greater sacrifice. I mean, by now we should know that. The Son of God, pure, sinless. Approached the cross with joy. Not because he was a masochist and really looked forward to suffering, but because he knew that by his sacrifice, it was going to be done. And sons and daughters could approach freely. Could approach freely the throne of grace. Jesus, the great high priest. Why was he the great high priest? Well, he shed his own blood. He shed God's blood for our sins. The bloods of bulls and rams and goats and pigeons. Poor substitute. Poor substitute of temporary value. But the blood of God shed for our sins. It can't get any better than that. You can't get any more superior than that. The word says that Jesus, upon his resurrection, ascended to heaven and is seated now at the right hand of God. He is an eternal intercessor. He's a living intercessor. He didn't die like Aaron, like Melchizedek, and all the other great high priests, He lives to this day, making intercession for us. How much more superior can you get than that? That he was fully human as well as fully divine. He walked this earth. He stubbed his toe. He experienced pain and frustration. He experienced every temptation that is common to man, just as we do, but is without sin. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be hurt. And that's the intercessor that's sitting at the right hand. How much more superior can you get than that? When Christ uh, exclaimed on the cross, it is finished, laid out, it is finished. God's word tells us that the curtain in the temple between the outer court and the Holy of Holies was torn in two, ripped from top to bottom to signify that God has made a way for us to approach the throne of grace. We don't need a high priest to make sacrifices. We don't need bulls and rams and goats. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. (sighs) Yeah. All that stuff we should know already. Now we're going to get to, for me, the meat of the message. And it's ironic that I call it the meat of the message. Because it's about a vegetable. (laughs) Kind of. It's about lettuce. Let us. And this is where my shepherd's heart is drawn. Let us. There's three heads of lettuce in this passage. So let's unpack them a little bit. You know, all that I've talked about this morning is what God has done for His glory and our benefit. Now we come to the part that we do, or at least what we're invited to do, because when, when the author of Hebrews says, let us do this, it's an invitation. I mean, God's done everything necessary for us to walk through the curtain. It remains for us to walk through the curtain. This is where being a free moral agent comes in. But we can walk through with confidence, or at least we should have confidence, if we know what God has done and are fully convinced of its efficacy. The first head of lettuce we find in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. An invitation to reestablish the intimacy that was lost to garden with the Lord. let us draw near early in the in the book of hebrews we read in, in the fourth chapter let us let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we we may say excuse me we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need this isn't a new thought in the book of hebrews but not only when we're in, ta- in a time of need, but just to enjoy His presence. You know, um, one of the things that I've really come to embrace in my old age, and I am the eldest elder here by long ways, um, is just enjoying intimacy with the Lord. You know, as a, as a young man, as a, as a pastor, and I spent over 20 years pastoring, as a church planter and as a senior pastor. I was all about doing. Oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. When you're a church planter, you're pretty much on the run. You're thinking on the run all the time. You always got six ideas in your back pocket. I got to do this. I got to recruit a worship team. I got to get a children's ministry up and running. I got to... I got it, I got it, I got it, and I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And very, very often I was doing all of that before I was uh, in spite of or instead of spending time with the Lord. And I was on my horse riding for the kingdom of God, oftentimes riding in the wrong direction. And, and all the time riding that poor horse to death. As I've gotten older, I've realized, you know what? God created me to be a human being. You were created to be a human being. You were created to be with the Lord, to be in love with Him, to be empowered by Him, to be encouraged with Him, to just be in fellowship. That's what you are created for. You weren't created to do anything. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God. Love. You can't love him without being with him. It's a heart issue. You've got to be with the Lord. And when you're with the Lord, when you've spent some time with the Lord, just enjoying him and listening to him and allowing him to transform you by his presence, by his love. Then pretty soon the marching orders begin to come. Things begin to fall into place. Your ministry begins to have productivity. Your life begins to have joy. Instead of being tired to death all the time, you have power. Boy, I wish I would have known that when I was younger. You're not created to be a human doing. You're created to be a human being draw near. My wife and I and, and my daughter Mariella who maybe one or two of you know and a couple of other friends have been doing for the last year and a half prayer retreats at our cabin in Wisconsin and the whole idea is rest and receive. Come and enjoy intimacy with the Lord. Come let him refresh you. Come let him inform you. Come let him encourage you. Come let him pick you up as on as eagle's wings and carry you when you, you can't be carried anymore. That's my delight now. I wish I would have started that way out 40 years ago. Draw near. An invitation to reestablish intimacy. Intimacy. But, and here's the deal. I don't want you to think that it's only when you're in trouble that you need to draw near. I mean, years ago, um, in my human doing days, I ran into a a dry spill um, work-wise. Lost a job. And, you know, when you lose jobs, the bills don't stop. And I was hours away from having the utilities shut off and all sorts of other bad things happening. And I had made phone calls. I had called in favors. I had done everything that I possibly could to cover those bills. And (laughs) I was literally on the floor crying. I have kids. I have a wife. Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen? And I just cried out to the Lord. and And within a moment... Of that cry, the phone rang, and um, <laughs> the bill was covered when I was finally broke. instead of going to him first, imagine what it would have been like if I was just going, "Hey God, I got some bills." you know and, I, and, I, and you know i can 't cover them, but I trust you. George Mueller, uh, the great saint in, in England, um, founded orphanages in England that were I mean, he would literally have the kids sit down for breakfast with no food and they would sit there waiting for somebody to show up with food unexpectedly and it always happened. He prayed, he lived like this. I trust God for my daily needs. But, you know, there's great joy (laughs) just being in the presence of the Lord. You know, I... uh, when I was growing up, we shared a house with my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandmother, God bless her, she, um, well, she's responsible for me becoming a pastor. She pulled a Samuel on me and dedicated me to the Lord without my consent when I was a little one. And she told, delighted in telling her friends that that boy's going to be a preacher someday. And I didn't really like that, but I do, did respect her, uh, her devotion to the Lord. But when I think of my grandmother, I think of maybe her favorite hymn. And you've probably heard it before. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there no other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. Oh, doesn't something cry out from inside you? I want some of that. Because that's what we're made to, that's what we're created to want, to experience. And here at Redeemer, we talk about. Um, I, I hope some of you, all of you, have been into the, uh, the gospel grid and sat under that, you know. And in that, we're taught that we were created to find all of our security, all of our significance, all of our joy in God. That's what we were created. Those are base needs that we were created with. And yet, we, we look for satisfaction in all of those in so many other places but our spirit cries out, oh, I just want to walk with the Lord in the cool of the morning. The problem is squirrels and shiny objects. You know what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about squirrels? Squirrels are vicious animals, you know. Vicious. They'll hurt you. Especially if you're walking a dog. I'm a big dog guy, and by big dog, I mean I like big dogs. St. Bernard's, Alaskan Malamutes, Labrador Retrievers, big dogs. You're walking to St. Bernard. Everything's going fine. The dog's having a good time. You're having a good time. And all of a sudden, a squirrel goes running by in front of you. Hang on your hats. It's going to be fun. Well, or maybe not. Both of my shoulders are pretty sore to this day from uh, trying to wrestle a, a dog back on task after a vicious squirrel has jumped in his way. And that's the way life is. Squirrels jump in our way all the time, getting in the way of our intimacy with the Lord. Biggest squirrel is sin, of course. But there's all sorts of other things that distract us from enjoying intimacy with the Lord. You see, intimacy with the Lord is not something that kind of you wander into. In this busy world in which we live, you got to program your intimacy with the Lord in. And I know that's not something we like to do because we spend a lot of time programming everything else into our lives. And often at the end of the day, we've got 24 hours and 28 hours of stuff to jam into that 24 hours. And to cram in quiet time where there's no distractions, where we can just sit and meditate on the Lord and pray and enjoy His presence is so hard. Because we can still our bodies sometimes, but our minds are going a thousand miles an hour. It's those squirrels distracting us. And shiny objects distract us to the good, but to the detriment of the best. Oh yeah, we can get on some good projects as human doings, but what's the best? What's the best? Mary and Martha worked that out with the Lord. One was doing, the other was being. Which one did the Lord condemn or commend? Let us draw near with a true heart, an undivided heart. Sometimes the shiny objects distract us to something that's not even good. You know, sin is very seductive. Wow, that looked good. That feels good. That smells good. Makes me look good. That's fun. You know, I have a a good friend that's a pastor of a large church in Waterloo. And uh, he's got a 14-year-old son. And his 14-year-old son's a good kid, and he's been baptized. He knows the Lord. But my friend uh, noticed that, you know, his son seemed to be withdrawing from things at church, getting, you know... Just putting himself, putting distance between himself and the Lord. You know, yeah, a father can sense those kind of things. And so he sat down with his son and he said, Hey, Jonathan, what's going on? Are you, is your faith wavering? Are you having a crisis of faith? He said, No, Dad, you know I love the Lord. Yeah, but I see this and I see that. And, you know, that's, that doesn't, doesn't line up with somebody that loves the Lord. So they talked a little bit, and the light went on in my friend's head. He says, Ah, Jonathan, I know what it is. You want to have some fun, and you're afraid that following the Lord, standing firm in your faith, is going to cost you some fun. You see, we're all like Jonathan. It's hard sometimes it's hard sometimes to say no to the shiny objects of life. Jeremiah 17.9 says that his heart is deceitful above all things. We don't even recognize it when our heart's being seduced. We don't recognize it immediately when we start taking shortcuts. When we start pulling away. When our attention starts to be diverted to the wrong things. Our eyes begin to wander. Our desires begin to take ungodly directions. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our heart lusts for this, for that, stuff that we think we deserve, but the reality is the only thing we deserve is death on our own. Was it McDonald's? You deserve a break today? That's some commercial. I, I laugh at that commercial. I don't deserve a break. By the grace of God, I got one, but not the one you're talking about. The psalmist cries out, teach me your ways, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Oh, God, help me. I know that this world is full of seductive things, full of uh, squirrels and shiny objects that are desiring to tear me out of your arms, God, but help me. Give me an undivided heart. I can't do it myself, God. I need your help. Preserve my heart. And I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. A true, undivided heart is a heart nurtured in the seed of faith. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A few moments ago I said that we should have confidence to pass through the curtain if we know what God has done and we are fully convinced of its efficacy. So how is your faith this morning? It can be hard sometimes to believe this stuff. You know, I know that here in this church over the last, I don't know how long, I want to say six months, but I know it's been going on longer than this. Some of your faith has been challenged by some of the things that's happened It's hard to believe this stuff sometimes. Forgiveness of sins. I mean, you don't know what I've done, God. How can can God forgive me of that? All the stuff we talk about here at Redeemer, about finding all of our security, our significance, our joy in Christ. Have you taken a look at the world lately? Wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and political chaos and crumbling institutions, culture shifts, and it goes on and on. It's a great theologian, Rosanna, Rosanna Dana once said, if it's not one thing, it's another. I heard one person that knows who Rosanna, Rosanna Dana is. I better watch my illustrations. God, I've been down so long. I'm used, I'm abused, I'm heckled, I'm neglected. Gloom, despair, agony untold, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Anybody remember that? <laughs> okay. He <He-haw. laughs> But that's the truth, isn't it? We can fall in some dark, dangerous places. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to maintain that faith that Christ's sacrifice on the cross absolves all my sins. That the great high priest sits at the Father's right hand and is interceding for me. That when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit in me is still praying yeah. and interceding for me. It's hard to believe that because I don't feel it, I don't see it. It's hard. Verse 23, we have our second head of lettuce. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Hebrews 11.1 describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, hope is the object of our faith. Now that may not seem right to you. You may think that Christ is the object of our faith, and and you would be right in that, but the two are not mutually exclusive. Our hope is in Christ. Our undivided heart is centered on Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus says in John 14, 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what's your hope in? Is your hope in Jesus? Is your hope in the faithfulness of God? Or is your hope in governments, economies, jobs, pensions, politicians, political parties, corporations, armies, wives, husbands, children, relationships? How's that working for you if it is? A little nervous, maybe? All sorts of things conspire to shake our faith. So what's the solution? Draw near. Draw near. Pass through the curtain. Maybe you don't feel confident. Fake it until you make it. Jesus and the man seeking healing for his son. Remember that story? Man came up and said, Jesus, if you will, please heal my son. Jesus says, all things are possible with God. And he asked the man, do you believe? And the man said, I believe. Help me in my disbelief. In other words, he'd be honest. God, I believe, but oh, it's so much to ask. It's so much to believe. My eyes don't let me believe that. My ears don't let me believe that. My human experience doesn't let me believe that. But I believe, help me to believe. Remember, it was Christ's blood sprinkled on the horns of the altar or is sprinkled on the horns of the altar. God's blood and it has torn the curtain from top to bottom and he is faithful. So you don't feel it? Your faith, your assurance is a little shaky? You need to know what the promises are. There's two, two things I hope for at this point in my life. One is that my children all Join me before the throne of grace some someday in glory. That's my hope. Something out in the future. God's word says train a, in the, train, a, train a child in the way he should go and when he becomes an adult, he will not depart from you. I'm standing on that. And I've got a couple of kids that right now, if the day was now, I don't think they'd be standing before the Lord. But I'm standing in God's word and I'm believing it. The other thing that I'm hoping for is I finish strong in my life. God's word says I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. There's no time limit on that. I'm standing on that too. What are you standing on? What are you knowing from God's word that's given you hope in your time of trouble? So draw near. Enter the holy of holies to find help in your time of need. The last head of lettuce is found in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christianity is a team sport, my friends. It's not an individual sport. (laughs) We are in it, with it, for and with each other. We need each other, my friends. That's why we have the church. That's why we have the church. The Bible describes the church as a family, amongst other things. We're family. Family needs to stick together the good times and the bad. We've had our bad times here. We still need to stick together. This is your church. Look around you. The people you see around you, they need you. And you need them. We need encouragement from time to time to get over it to get ahead of it, to get going, to get up, to fight on in our weakness, in our fear, in our disappointment, in our confusion. In our weakness, we need each other. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves have received. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Yeah, you may be thinking that God doesn't love you because he's allowed something to happen to you. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone south. Maybe it's what's happened here and your faith is shook by uh, what's happened to Redeemer Church could be any number of things. And you're thinking, oh, woe is me. Where's God in all this? Well, God's right there. You need to take your eyes off yourself. The issue is not about you. The issue is about what God wants to do with you and in you and through you. Jesus and his disciples were walking one day and they pointed to a blind man and, um, you know, back then, the, the common wisdom of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, was if you, something bad was happening to you, it because of sin. Oh, you sinned. That's why you got leprosy or whatever. So his disciples asked Jesus, um, was it that man's sin or the sin of his parents that resulted in him being born blind? Jesus said, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong, us. That man was born blind so that on this day, you could see the power of God. And he healed him. You know, you're a miracle that other people are looking at. They're watching. They're they're desperately looking to see a miracle in you. Don't take it personal when things go wrong. Consider in high honor, God entrusts you enough to stand firm. Firm in your suffering so others can benefit. So, one last thing as I invite the worship team and the response teams forward. As I said, this is your church. Whether it's on Sunday morning in groups, fighter groups, whatever, draw near. Draw near. Draw near together, draw near individually. Hold fast, stir each other up. In a few moments, we're going to be sharing the Lord's table with each other. The elements representing the broken body and the shed blood that ripped the curtain in half, that made it possible for you to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Do it. Take a few moments before you come and receive the juice and the bread. And ask yourself, have I been drawing near, or have I been holding back? Am I fully committed, or am I holding fast to my confession of faith, or has my faith become bruised? Am I fully committed to my church, seeking ways to encourage others, or have I been sidelined? Then take what the Spirit reveals to you, with you, through the curtain. And lay it on the altar and draw near. I just want to say one more thing, and that is that um, I'm going to be with the prayer team over here. And uh, if anybody, you know, after searching your hearts, would like to have a little prayer, just somebody to pray with about all of this or whatever, I'd love to do that. All right? God bless you.